Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. All right, welcome. Well, we are here around the kitchen table again, as usual. And um, to start things off, we wanted to um, talk about some interesting points that we found in this article online. Um, it's called Why We Need New Ways of Thinking. And I found it on mindful.org. And we'll put a link to the full article in the show notes. But um, basically, the, the premise of the article is that the same old ways of thinking get us the same results and um, and that a lot of times uh, when people are trying to uh, improve things they're they're trying to do the same thing but better you know is one of the quotes in there which actually was from a television show um, and uh, and and you know a lot of times that's sort of the rut that we get into when we're trying to solve problems you know whether it's uh, big problems like you know poverty or um, you know big changes that are going on and in our culture and in our world, um, climate change, you know, um, big things like that, you need creative, uh, you need creative approaches. And that means being open to changing how you're thinking about things and really questioning just sort of fundamental assumptions that, uh, that usually we don't question. And that's yeah. really the first step is I call it questioning the wallpaper. Right. Right. Cause we'll, we'll examine every article of furniture in the room and all the people in the room but we don't really think about the color of the wallpaper and the light that it casts right. onto what's happening in the room. Yeah. Right. And that so, really sets the tone for everything else. And so if that's not what you wanted or if that's not serving the situation, then Yeah, totally. Yeah, then that's where you need to start. So we pulled out some specific paragraphs that we wanted to um, talk about specifically because there were some really uh, salient points in there. Um, so I'll just um, start by reading um, this first excerpt. Um, and uh, so he's interviewing someone named Margaret Wheatley, um, who says she looks to nature as her guide and sees emergence as the salient property. In nature, she writes that um, change never happens as a result of top-down preconceived strategic plans or from the mandate of any single individual or boss. Change begins as local actions spring up simultaneously in many different areas. That's how all larger scale systems come about. If you could sit on a mountainside for many decades, you would see a tree here or there sprout up in the valley below, and then more and more until you would see something you might call a forest. But you'd be hard-pressed to find the blueprint. And then she goes on from there to say, what can we learn from this? According to Wheatley, we learn that the world doesn't change one person at a time. It changes as networks of relationships form among people who discover that they share a common cause and a vision of what's possible. They realize all of a sudden that they make up a forest, an ecosystem, a community. Community is the answer, says Wheatley. Community is the unit of change. The only way we get through difficult times is together. Yes, you work at the level of the individual, but particularly today, people are so caught up in small personal and interpersonal dynamics as a downward spiral of narcissism and egotism that they just can't get over themselves. And as a consequence, Wheatley thinks the small group, not the large group or the individual, is the most potent focus. 
The place to begin is in having a good conversation and cultivating relationships. According to emergence theory, these are the bonds that lead to change, growth, and influence. For Wheatley, all of the truly marvelous changes wrought by humans can be traced back to some friends and I started talking about. <laughs> right, yeah. And then the conversation gets going. Yeah. Right. So I asked her whether there wasn't important to work at the individual level. She said, one of the most important things we can do is find time for reflection. This kind of time has disappeared from our lives and we need to reclaim it, she says. We must have time where we start to feel centered, peaceful, focused. Out of that space, we can cultivate a real relationship and start conversation. Adam Kahane, I'm, I think, likes to repeat a distinction. We uh, repeat a distinction Wheatley taught him. She sees a difference between giving up, throwing up your hands in exasperation and frustration, and surrender, embracing the power of that which has overtaken you. Wheatley is not certain how many people are ready to surrender. The kind of breakdowns we're experiencing may force more collaboration and community on us, but I have to say, I haven't seen it yet. As things break down, it's either going to force us into community or we will kill each other more. Yeah. <sighs> and yeah, and, and I, I think especially with that word surrender, I know that when I first, um, you know, heard that term and usually it was in a religious context, you know, surrender to God, surrender to divine will, you know, that kind of thing. And and, you know, for me, the term surrender was like, like in war, you surrender, you know, if you're the losing side, you know, it was, there was this connotation of weakness to it, of, of giving up, right? And so, so I love that that distinction is made there that, um, that it doesn't necessarily mean that you're giving away your power or that you're, you know, giving up or becoming passive. Um, it's more like an acceptance, you know, I yeah. accept that there are certain things that are not in my control. There's, you know, there are things that I control and there are things that I can't control. And and so I think that surrender is really understanding that distinction. And it's interesting because it's something that the ego absolutely despises. Right, because the right? ego wants to be control because of go, everything. Right, the ego wants that control. So if you no longer have control, then the ego totally takes that as, as defeat, weakness. right? Yeah, as weakness, as being conquered, as you know, all of those kinds of things. So, and it is really powerful. Um, it's absolutely necessary, and you'll hear people in all manner of spiritual and wisdom circles talking a lot about surrender. Um, and I think acceptance can be an easier. I mean, acceptance is really the same thing. It's very right. similar. It's hard for me to even draw a distincting a, dis, a distinguishing yeah. line between the two of them right. um and now i've kind of reprogrammed myself when i hear the surrender to go which surrender are we talking about right are we talking about <laughs> the giving up surrender are we talking about the acceptance surrender and and so for me i've sort of you know when i hear that word i don't just make the assumption that it's the one yeah so yeah so i think it's really interesting right that we're like pulling on that word surrender especially because it's something that the ego hates so much. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see in this little um, snippet, which is beautifully pulled out, by the way. It's such a great, there's so much going on there. Um, but um, like we can see this parallel between the ego, its hate of surrender and seeing it as defeat and weakness. Um, and then again, her saying change doesn't happen via the individual and the large group, hmm. but by small community. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is going to be if, if we think about it, like that idea of the individual and then 
you know, leveraging that up into the large group, right. which is something we hear in yeah. business circles a lot, right? How ego-driven that is. Um, and if you think about what small communities look like, right, it's it's not something that fosters a lot of ego. If mm-hmm. If you're egotistical and narcissistic and it's all about you and you're trying to get it bigger. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't scale. <laughs> then, right. Then, then you're probably walking over the people immediately around you to try to leverage it to be bigger. Right. Yeah. Right. And in those small communities, there's not a whole lot of room for someone to be, it's yeah. all about me. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like it in really a larger is- organization that can Right. Sometimes. Yeah. Right. Then then we see those people as, you know, dynamic, charismatic leaders, you know, (laughs) but like within the small community, there's not a lot of room for that. And it's really interesting because it's something that I had thought about a lot, um, you know, in my study of different religions, every religious community that I've had interaction with really honors and edifies their first community. They really see that first community as being um, they really understood fill in the blank. Whatever the religion is, right. they were the ones yeah. that really got it. And we have strayed so far away from this, Interesting, you know? Interesting, yeah. And, um, and so when it, so I started thinking yeah. like, okay, all the communities are saying the same thing. So, so what is it about their original community yeah. that's so distinctive? You know what that reminds me of? So it reminds me of, um, of communism so i was i grew up when i grew up as a kid you know it was during the cold war and communism was bad you know and so it was you know unfair to people and kept people in poverty and so it was this whole like you know i that's like what i heard about communism and then and then i read this book in which there was this society that was it was a small group society and everyone had enough there was no poverty and everyone um you know, had a place in the society. And it was this, you know, this little utopia, right? And um, and I'm like, that's so great. Uh, that would be wonderful if life was really like that. And then when we, it was for a book study, it was in a class. And so when we went to do the group discussion, someone's like, that was really weird how they made communism sound like a good thing. And I was like, wait, wait, that's that's what communism is? Like, yeah. And so I, I learned that actually, like, the, the idea, the ideal behind communism is a, it's supposed to be everyone has enough. Everyone is provided for. Everyone in the community is supported that there's not, you know, these these disparities of rich and poor. And And I was like, well, that's actually a good idea. But what we see happen is that when that, you know, when in the world where where um, societies have tried to uh, implement that, it doesn't, it strays from that ideal, right? right. And you still end so up still with the disparities issues. of the rich and the poor. And, and, and so there's just something about... Um, it's it's it, that power over, I think, as right. opposed to power with. Like, yeah. Until we step over into that we're going to keep having problems on those issues and it's really funny how much we've Mm -hmm. demonized communism as an economic system right Mm -hmm. it's not a governance it's an economic system okay (laughs) right Right. so that's something that a lot of people conflate to and then on the on the flip side we've um you know 
make capitalism like the whatever, put it on right. a pedestal like it's so much better or whatever. And but it has its, it's flaws too, also, right? It, it also does economic not system always and work. it's not governance, right? right? Yeah. So um so you have to have like <laughs> republics, democracies, things like that. Like that's mm-hmm. governance and these right. are two different things. Right. 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 Um, so like most of the countries in Western Europe, for example, are like socialist democracies. Mm-hmm. The socialism is the economic system. The democracy is the is the system of rule of, of governance, right? So a lot of people conflate those things, but um, but it's it's really interesting how much we've demonized communism as an economic system, um, and and there are people fighting to to call us a Christian country and to make us a Christian country, right? Um, but the first Christians were communists. There is a story in Acts of someone being struck dead in Paul's office because they had not, um, it's not that they hadn't turned over all their property to the community. They hadn't revealed all their property to the community. Mm. So people did have power of choice to be able to give everything to the community or not, but they Mm. were expected to say everything that they had, right? Right. To give a list of all assets. Um, and I'm sure the peer pressure was extreme. Right. Once you, <laughs> once you told what you had to give to all of it, right? right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there was this sort of like, oh, well, why would you keep that to yourself, Mister <laughs> Selfish Greedy Pants? You know. So, um, so this couple right. hadn't revealed everything. Okay. They had revealed only what they were willing to give. Ah. Um, and so they were struck dead in Paul's office. Wow. So and people <laughs> like to ignore this. Do you know what I mean? But. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, uh, this is not the like de facto demon that that we often make it out to be, um, yeah. or the first community were de facto demons. I don't know. You make your mind up. But right. um, but one of the one of the things that 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 I saw as a um, a common factor of all these different whether you're talking about Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, right. Um, the first community was this small group of people that met in each other's living rooms, mm-hmm. right? And um, once their their guiding prophet was not there anymore, like the only person that stood out was the prophet, mm-hmm. right? And um, once that person was no longer there, then it was just this network of people that all knew they were schmucks and they're just trying to get along in life mm-hmm. and actualize these ideals that that they had bought into, right? And so on a personal level, I I quit <laughs> like any organized religion at that point, right? I just right. realized like, and, and Jung talks about this, about how the larger an organization becomes, the more it loses its conscious, its consciousness, right. Right? right? And I had noticed too, whether secular or religious, and we've talked about this several times, that the the, the bigger an organization is, the larger the gap between stated ideals and practiced ideals. Right. Exactly. Right. Or stated right. values and practice values. So right. um so so and, I really love that she's talking, making this distinction yeah. of the change is really gonna happen in these small communities, because I think the small communities really, as far as the ego is concerned, hold us accountable. Right. Cause and that's that's why I was just thinking too, is that with a small community, you know, everybody knows everybody and sees what everyone else is doing and like you said can hold people accountable and call them out when right. what they're doing starts to stray from the ideals of the group right and when they're no longer practicing they're you know trying to cheat or you know yeah. um and whereas in a big organization or too big for their britches, right like, in a big organization 
you can get away with that stuff a little mm. more. And and so and then, you know, it's one of those things human beings are very like they're always looking to other people as their example of what they can and can't do. And so you have your ideals and this is what we say we believe in. But then when they see that other people aren't really doing that, then they go, oh, OK, so these are the official rules. And then this is the other set of rules. And so then it becomes it's a snowball effect, right? One person starts to, you know, cheat and then other people go, oh, well, if he's doing it. You know, <laughs> I can do yeah. that, too. And it just. You know, if that doesn't get reined in either by usually by the community members, then it just becomes out of control. Yeah. And then that's how you end up with, you know, quote, communism that is so far off uh, from that that isn't fulfilling, you know, the ideals right, right, of right. what it's really meant to do. No, that's true, too. Yeah, <clears throat> that's true, too. And the more power that gets sucked yeah. up into the top of that pyramid. Right. And the, the fear, harder it is to right. challenge it. Basically, yeah. fear and ego can ruin any system no matter Absolutely. how great their ideals are it can all you know that's really ultimately i think what takes what takes people off the path from the ideal um way of doing things to you know this other way is they start to you know ego comes in fear comes in and says well but maybe you should do things this way instead and that would be better for you and you know, yeah, and then things just go well, from and there. we get into power over really quickly at that point too. Right, right. So, like, yeah. <clears throat> um. Oh, and I had a thought, and it ran away. <laughs> they, anyway, they do that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's like they're swift little you things. While you can. <laughs> swift little things. Yeah, but um, yeah, and I thought it was interesting. What I because I have recently come to the conclusion that we, um that change needs to start at the individual level. You know, usually we've traditionally looked for leadership from the top down, you know, the savior, that great leader mm. who's going to who's going to save us, who's going to make change happen and fix everything and 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 that like never happens. And yeah, we keep wanting it to happen. We every time some charismatic person comes along, well, we want someone to do our work for right, us. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if it was that easy? You just put <laughs> the right person in charge, and they just fix everything. Right. But uh, yeah. But actually, uh, you know, I started to realize no, it needs to start with the individual, with us. You know, being the change we want to see in the world. And so I thought it was interesting that she has a slightly different perspective, which is that well it's really those individuals who are yes being the change but then coming together in a small group and and I think it's I think what she's saying is that when you get a group of, a small group of those people together who are all on the same page about what their values are and what they're trying to accomplish that's how you actually make things happen yeah. right because as individuals although we can do a lot of work um, to, you know, work with our own emotions and our shadow and, you know, dealing with our ego and fear and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, being a better person, better version of ourselves, um, you still have a limited amount of power as an individual to affect change. Well, and when you start combining that together with other people, then you get synergy, then you get, you know, a much greater effect in the world. Well, and I think too, as far as like, um, this idea that the change is going to happen um, when we're aligned and actualizing, right? You need other people to be able to do that. 
like I'm I'm not a spider. I don't have eyes all the way around my head where I can see 360 mm. degrees. You know, right. I can I, I I can't even I I can't even really see 180. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. So um, so I so I need other eyes to be able to hold me accountable to help me see the things I can't see. Oh right. To yes. help me work on the things that that I can't see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and that's why, you know, for me, part of my journey of, you know, becoming the best version of myself has been, you know, seeking out coaching and, and mentors and people in my life that that can help me see the things that I can't see. And that will tell you. Right. I think that's the thing, too. Right. So if we're looking again at this dynamic of the individual trying to leverage their vision onto this large crowd, who holds that person accountable? Right. Like once they've got the power to be able to reach this large amount of people, you tend to get yes men right. around them. Right. So no one challenges them. Right. So and if they do, heads roll. Here goes the heart, you know, the queen of right. hearts off with their heads <laughs> when anyone looks at them sideways. So um, and we're seeing examples of that in the news every single day. Um, mm-hmm. So like so we're, so we're seeing that there's nothing to check the ego in that paradigm, really. Right. Right. So you've got a group of people that don't really want their to do their work and want someone else to do their work for them and do their thinking for them. And they can hide in the anonymity of the crowd. Right. Right. Um, and then this other person that's 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 driving it that that has no system of accountability in place because mm, no right. one's going to challenge them because they have this much power. Right. right? Whereas the. The, the group, that space in the middle, the small group and the small community, like you all know each other well enough. There's not, and it's more of a web based versus that hierarchy. hierarchy right. Instead of a pyramid, it's a web. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And so, so you're, you're, you're all on, on the same level. Nobody's any better or bigger than the next person is. And, and so there is this ability to be able to call each other out. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then there's there's different dynamics at play there. Like you don't get to act uppity and do this, that, and the other. Like, do, do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like small groups don't tolerate behavior like that. Yeah. So, um, so you have the positive peer pressure and and the accountability. Right. To, right. So that when you start to <laughs> go off track of the values and start getting into ego or fear, there's people who are your equals who right. can call call that out. Yeah. And help you get back to center. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so to kind of zero in on um, what she says about this interplay, the, the importance of, of individual work, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not abdicating our responsibility to the, to the smaller group. Um, but um, she says uh, that one of the most important things we need to do is find time for reflection. This kind of time has disappeared from our lives and we need to reclaim it, she says. We must have time where we start to feel centered, peaceful, focused. And out of that space, we can cultivate a real relationship and start a conversation. Right. So, um, yeah. So, And that's really powerful because the, you know, in order to get along in the small group, you have to take care of your own business, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Because otherwise you're just vomiting your issues and your emotions and your opinions all over everybody. Um, 
Right. Yeah. You just get these like, like magnified drama <laughs> circles, right? Yeah. If we all sort of like think back to high school and, you know, freshman year, if you went to college, right. like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. we're all totally enmeshed and very few are doing their own work. And um, so it's just one big drama drama cycle after another right, right, right. um and it's interesting that um as we come to you in a podcast the all all these different medias that have are like we're, we're constantly getting this barrage of information we're constantly we if we want to run away from mm. what is happening inside of us right there, there are, are many, plenty of opportunities. Many to opportunities do that. to do that. Yeah. yeah, I've started. It's funny you say that because I've started distinguish. So I love stories. So I love movies, television, books, all that kind of thing. And and um, and I started to distinguish between you know when I'm doing that, when I'm spending time, and it's truly just for the joy of enjoying that story, versus when I'm running to that mm. as an escape, mm. as a way to not deal with you know, whatever else is, is going on. And so now I, you know, before I sit down to binge watch something, I'll be like, all right, is there <laughs> something else that I, you know, need to do first, you right. know, before I, um, you know, before I just enjoy my stories, you know. Is well, are you there to, to really enjoy on? or are you there to numb? Right. Yeah. Right? And just like, asking that question because then if it comes back, well, yeah, there is something I'm, trying to avoid here then then of course the next natural question is well what is that (laughs) then you have a choice like am i going to consciously ignore that or am i going to sit down and then figure out what it is yeah exactly so um no it's really true and i think it's one of the things that a lot of people when they start trying to do some kind of meditation practice um and i noticed here she's like looking for that time for reflection, it doesn't mean sitting on a cushion, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's right. one of the things that my sacred arts teacher, Bree Saucy, talks about quite a bit. She talks about cultivating calmness. Yeah. Um, and that can happen while you're doing the dishes, yeah. while you're on a walk, while you're driving, you know, right. it's not... It's allowing, um, it's it's loosening your conscious um, your conscious mind's like hold over what you're doing and what you're thinking enough to allow things to float to the surface that yeah. also need your attention. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when we're involved in an activity while we're cultivating calmness, then that can actually help the monkey mind, right? right? There's a reason that well, that's, Buddhist think... monasteries have like rote chores as being a huge part of their daily practice right you you're involved raking the yard or sweeping the floor or doing the dishes and that's something to give the monkey mind something to do so that those thoughts can float to the surface yeah and i know that creatively um you know being in that flow state where you know the words are just coming to you and and you know the story's flowing or the ideas are flowing um, is often in that kind of time where I'm just in the shower or doing the dishes or something like that. And just, you know, yeah, it's, it's like, okay, my conscious mind is focused on that, but, but also kind of not, it's sort of a relaxed, I, I see it as just sort of like my conscious mind is just kind of relaxed. And so it's like, it's still there. It's still present. I'm oftentimes thinking about things, but I'm thinking about it in a more of an allowing kind of way as opposed to a I have this thing problem I need to solve I have this you know 
thing I need to focus on. You so know? you're in a state of surrender as opposed to right. a state of control. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's a really, yeah, that's a really good way of saying it. It's when the conscious mind is surrendering instead of controlling, which, right. which doesn't mean that you're not, that you're totally helpless. In fact, so right now I'm actually doing some hypnotherapy um, with Amy Rosner, who I know you know as well. And, um, and one of the things, so I was asking her, I was like, okay, so like, how does this work? And cause it's not like, um, most people know hypno hypnosis from like, uh, some sort of entertainment thing, you know, where they get a bunch so of people terrible. on stage and, so terrible. you know, make them, right. you know, do crazy things. Tool. Right. Yeah. But, um, but actually what I found is that, um, so what she said, actually what Amy said is that it's basically being in that flow state Yeah. that you're really just relaxing your conscious mind, but you're not you're kind of peeking, but you're but peeking you're not out through of control. the, right. You're peeking right. through the veil between yeah. the conscious and the subconscious yeah. mind. And yeah. so I had, so I've had one session with her so far and what my experience with it was is that, um, like I could still think and if it, you know, and if she had said, you know, uh, cluck like a chicken I, I could have been like no <laughs> you know right like like I felt like I could I was like you know it's sort of like that if you've ever had that experience where you're like almost asleep but not quite you know where your body's yeah. like super relaxed your mind is just kind of relaxed and you're still conscious enough that you could wake yourself up if you needed to right, right. like if something dangerous or you know scary happened like I could pull myself out of it um, like I still felt like I had that level of control, um, uh, while I was under, you know, um, which is nice, you know, so it's like the conscious mind is still there. It's still able to do what it needs to do, but it's relaxed enough to allow what needs to come up through your subconscious, um, to come to the surface. Yeah. Okay. So my, um, my sacred arts teacher then talks about how in fairy tales and folk tales, it's. The, the helpers are coming to the heroine while she's sweeping, while she's cooking dinner, while she's down at the river washing clothes, right? So it's... The little elves or the fairy godmother or whatever. Yeah, those, exactly. The magical so, helpers. Exactly. The magical helpers are coming in that moment when the body is occupied, but the mind is free, right? right? So, and I think that's, you know, that's a big reason that's why... That's a great metaphor. <laughs> you see it, yeah, that you see in monasteries too, like like Zen Buddhist monasteries, particularly, I think a lot of people think of all these, um, not just chores that need to be done because that's a big part of communal or monasterial life in general, but like Zen monasteries will have things that seem completely useless, like raking the gravel into a circular pattern or something. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, but, but it's, 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 it's really to give that conscious mind something to do. Yeah, so that so that the the subconscious mind can roam a little bit more freely. Right. Um, and I think because of the the world that we live in, a lot of people when they do try to do sitting meditations, um, get really frustrated and think like, oh, I don't know how to do it. I'm not doing it right. Like, you right, know. yeah. Um, which is really funny because it's... And I think it's that's a funny question, even just the fact that we're asking ourselves, am I sitting here doing nothing correctly? I know, right? <laughs> like, if we can recognize, like, these, like, what a beautiful window into our own self-judgment, right? right. We get so flipped out about... Right. We've been programmed to think that there's a right way to do everything yeah. and that there's a best way, that there's a right answer that... 
you know, and, and so we get caught up in that sort of, am I doing this right? Yeah. And uh, if you're just sitting there, relaxed, yeah, you're doing it right. Well, it's interesting because <laughs> I think a lot, I think, you know, our our idea on meditation has been framed to think that we're supposed to clear the mind. Right, right? you're not supposed to. Think that you're not supposed anything. to be thinking anything, yeah. that you're not supposed to. And sometimes I wonder if that's differences in like male and female brains. Huh. Or um, even just, I think sometimes I, it just can depend on what the purpose of your meditation is. Because sometimes it is, sometimes there is a desire to just still the mind. And and sometimes there is Which is where a, a lot desire. of people get frustrated. Right. And but sometimes like, it's like, no, I just want to, I still want to think. I just want it to be, uh, to allow that stuff to come up that is... You know, it's it's a different kind of thinking, right? It's right. There's thinking where you're well, it's moving it. into the observer, right? As opposed to the controller, right? Right. There's... So you're moving into the observer and recognizing right. that um, you are not your thoughts, you mm-hmm. are not your emotions, right? And and stepping into the observer mind yeah. um, to just sort of watch what's happening yeah. and and so there's a couple of different things that are going on, regardless of how many times. A thought comes running across, right? Um, I don't. Is it is it Byron Katie that talks about this? It might be Eckhart Tolle, but um, I know there's a there's a teacher that talks about like we we say I'm thinking like it's some something we have control over, you know, <laughs> and and thoughts just happen, right? Yeah. So um, they, they're just running across, you know. Yeah. So um, and emotions are that way too. They absolutely. just are what they are. They're, and I and where we get in trouble is when we feel like we have to control our thoughts and our emotions constantly. Right. And and while it's true that you don't want to be at the mercy of you know your emotions or your thought patterns and and sort of caught up in these you know, these same cycles over and over again, you, you want to be able to, um, exercise some control over those things, but there's also, there's that balance of, um, you know, it's more like directing the flow of a river, you know, well, that's controlling it, though. We've gotten ourselves into, a lot of, don't, I mean, I, it, it's like, if you're observing, I, I guess what I'm saying is there's time for control and there's time to not control is, you know, and, and so I think sometimes it's easy to get, there's a sort of a scary thought of like, oh, I'm just going to surrender. I'm just going to not be in control. And that's, um, or that I'm, you know, abdicating responsibility over my thoughts and emotions. And, and it's like, I, I think one of the things I've learned from doing mindfulness and meditation practice is that you can just be in the moment you can be in that observer role. You can experience whatever's going on emotionally, thought-wise, and um, and just let it be what it is. And then and then you can do then you can do the analysis later on and go, well, what do I want to do about that? You know. Well, because I think like one of the sort of divine paradoxes about the meditative practice, right, is that as long as we're attached and control is always attached, mm-hmm. right? Then we are going to be out of control. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So if I am attaching to my thoughts and I'm attaching to my emotions, then, then they will those pull have me control over you. Right. right. They will be yeah. pulling me around. They are right. in the driver's seat. Yeah. But if I am detached from my thoughts and detached from my emotions, right? So if I'm fully in that observer role, mm-hmm. then I'm watching them 
but they're not controlling me. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, so the emotions can just pass through and, and when the emotions get us into trouble is when we attach stories to them. Mm. Right. When we, so that, that interplay that we were talking before we turned the mic on about the, the thoughts and the emotions, right. Um, and how they can, the emotional patterns and the thought patterns can spark each other off and and entrench and whatever. Like, if I'm if I'm attaching stories or attaching thoughts to the emotions, right? So um, and that analysis does it. So you know my 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 ego mind wants to know why I'm feeling a certain way, oh, right? Yeah. So yeah. So if I'm having sadness or depression or you know like why are you doing this? Why? Um, yeah. And, and so 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 I've learned to just say. Because I'm human, yeah. and humans feel sad t- sometimes. Yeah. Right. And it's, this is just how I'm feeling right now. And right. And so. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that I need to go start making big life changes or that I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. Because I'll get into that too, where I'll be like, I'm so depressed. Is my life off track? Do I need to? What do I need to fix to stop feeling this way? <laughs> Right. 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 It's like, oh, sometimes there is nothing. I mean, sometimes there is. And that's sort of the paradox of human existence, right? Is sometimes the emotions you feel are a sign that something needs to change in your life. But sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's just, you know, hormones. Right. Having a bad day, whatever. You know, sad, and, something sad happened and that's legitimately. And so I'm sad today. Right, yeah. Like yeah. that's something legitimately So I love like about. that. I'm getting that scene and um, is it Inside Out? The wonderful Probably. movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, where, where all, where all there, uh, there's all these characters that's like yes. a different emotion. And so you have sadness said, and right. joy and disgust. And, and anger. And, um, yeah. and so <laughs> like I love um, that scene where sadness just sits down next to the clown. Yeah. Right. And yeah. just lets the clown be sad. Yeah. And it's in the letting it be sad. Like, oh, that's sad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, right. Not it means this about me or I have to shift this <laughs> or I have to change that. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. Yeah. Um, to just sit down with sadness and, and to think of our emotions as characters. Right. There's a roomy um, poem called The Guest House that talks about welcoming all who knock, you know, Um and the first time I I read that poem, I was just like, oh, I mean, it was just horrifying to me. Um, <laughs> and now I'm starting, you know, like what, like, 15, 18 yeah, years later. Yeah, be careful you let in your house. Yeah, man, totally. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, it really, really what? scared me. And um, and now I'm I'm starting to recognize, you know, 15, 18 years after that initial reaction of, you know, when when that emotion comes knocking, to just let it in. Yeah. And let it tell its story. Yeah. And 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 it to be done with it, right? So it's it's, it's it just wants to pass through. Yeah, it's yeah. like it just wants to be heard. And and I think that's really um, where the power of reflection is: is that there's a lot of stuff going inside, going on inside each of us. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of emotions, there's a lot of thought, there's a lot of attachments and beliefs and all this, and and it can be very confusing and very stressful. And so having that time for reflection allows us to sort of be that observant and start to sift through what's going on. And one important thing um, that I learned in, which is what sort of also led me to doing the hypnotherapy is that I've come to realize that thoughts and emotions run on two different tracks. Like there's, there's a logical, there's like thinking logic and there's emotional logic and they 
they're like on two different wavelengths and 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 uh you know and you and i were talking about this uh beforehand and and although thoughts and emotions are very close and you know um you know one can trigger the other you still have these patterns i think of them as patterns of thought and patterns of emotion that have been ingrained in us through our experiences you know and and um attachments and what have you and so like so um i'm trying to think of what the example was i thought of the other day so like if you let's say okay let's say you're trying to you want this promotion at work and then um somebody else gets it you don't get the promotion and so then that can trigger a thought of oh my gosh what why didn't i get this i must not have worked hard enough um you know i must not be talented enough for this role and then that can so that sort of thought pattern which you know probably got ingrained in you years ago then triggers this emotional thing of i'm not worthy i'll never be good enough um you know and so that has a real like deep emotional thing that goes with it and and a lot of times we may you know especially if you're not in the habit of reflecting you may not even realize that that's you know because even saying oh i'm just not good enough that's a thought and a lot of times people don't think that thought because it's way underneath the surface they just feel the emotion of i'm not worthy right i'm not good enough i'll never be you know whatever fill in the blank and um and so and so, you know, then that can trigger other thoughts of, you know, so that emotional feeling of unworthiness may trigger the ego to go, you just need to work harder. If you just work harder, the next time you'll get the promotion. And so, so that's kind of this sort of like interplay that happens with thoughts and emotions. And, and so there's, you know, doing the reflection allows you to do, to start unraveling, to start identifying, you know, those patterns of thought that you have and like, oh yeah, that keeps happening. And, and you can start to look back and see through your life how, you know, that kept coming up. And, and so, you know, through reflection or if you do coaching or therapy and things like that, you can start to unravel that stuff and, and change, you know, replace a certain thought pattern with a newer, healthier well, and I think too, you know, in our first segment, we were talking about small community mm-hmm. um, and how change comes to those places. Because I'm thinking, um, if I start thinking about like hiring practices, promotional practices, things like that um, within the workplace, mm-hmm. then my mind immediately goes to these syst- systematic ways that shut out like women and minorities right? mm. <laughs> within the workplace. And so, um, and and other situations too, right? With sexual harassment, things like this, like the the shame that I'm not worthy, um, you know, these kinds of things keep us from coming into community and ta- and, and talking to people about what's happened. Mm, right. um, and as we overcome that shame and recognize that it's not because we're not worthy and it's not because we didn't work hard enough and it's right. not, you know. Um, so as we go through that process and realize those things, if if we're in community, healthy community, and we're sharing mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, then as people recognize that it's not just them and, and that the there's something... people are going through these things. Right, exactly. Yeah. Then you're able to come into community and, and be able to affect the change, right? right. So, um, and especially when I'm thinking, you know, like sexual harassment cases, there's been several in the past couple of years where... Um, you know, one one woman comes forward, right, 
And then the floodgates open. And the floodgates open. And people are like, well, what took them so long? Well, well, because people are locked into this shame. Right. Right. Because no one wants to be that first person to (laughs) step forward. And think that there was something that they did to make that happen. And... Oh, I shouldn't have this. I should, you know, how how dare I? I I should have left my vagina home that day, but I took it with me. Do you know what I mean? Like, so there's this kind of stuff that we get into that that we trip ourselves out on and right. go into the shame spiral, and think that that happened because we are who we are, mm-hmm. and not realize that it's a bigger problem. And it's not until we get into community, right. That we're able to really impact that change, right? Once we're, once we're um, courageous enough to be truthful about our experiences, right? Um, then, then more and more people start coming out, right? Um, right? And I, and I think the more we, as a larger culture, re-examine the way we see those kinds of things, right? Um, then it makes it easier and easier for people to come forward so that we can make those changes, yeah. right? Um, it's not benefiting anybody for predators and cheaters and liars to be, you Getting know, with, at the helm. Like, right, this, is, yeah. this isn't helping them, and it's not helping us as a society, right? Nobody benefits from these situations, even though it may look like they're benefiting in the short term. Do you know what I mean? If we're looking on deeper levels, then then it's not. You right. know what I mean? Um so yeah, so I so I think that again that that role of of community that we're doing our internal work to do some checkpoints and make sure and to know to be able to name our emotions, to be able to identify what's going on. Yeah. Um to have that level of detachment to to recognize like this is what I'm feeling right now but not attach our worth and and right. define meaning and from it as who we are for right. a person, you know, um, and then to be able to have that community where we're processing things with and the importance of having those communities in lots of different places. Right. Yeah. So there's You're not just going to be in one community. You're going to be in different and communities multiple small communities, multiple functions. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, because I think that's that um, when we're when we're when we're focused solely on the individual process, then we end up. So that becomes that navel gazing sort of thing. And we become incapable of affecting actual social change. Right. Right. Because Because then it's all our fault. (laughs) Then we need to change something. But if the system is stacked that way, then we, we, we're not enabled to change the system until we've connected with communities that are experiencing the same kind of thing, right? Right. But it means we've got to do our own work to get over the shame around that. And I think, too, um, a big part that makes that really powerful is that sort of shame-blame game, right? If we haven't done that internal work, and it doesn't mean that we don't hold people accountable. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Um, But but you, you can get more done when you can be honest and open and transparent about what you're going through, about what you believe, about what your goals are. And so if, you know, when you have blame and shame and, you know, all this stuff that you're trying to hide, you know, um, you have to be careful about what you reveal and it gets in the way of transparency. And that transparency is what really allows people to bond in the small community and allows, you know, like you were saying, other people to come forward and go, I'm having that same experience, you know, um, and so, so yeah, so I really love that idea of it's not about 
you know, should we focus on the individual or should we focus on the community, but that they both, that we should do both, that they both support, um, you know, supporting individual growth supports the community and then supporting community also supports the individuals. Yeah, they really feed one another in that way, right? And getting like the shame blame, that's that's ego game. So it's looking to dominate and destroy, you know, Um so it's it's gonna if we've done our work on that, then it's gonna shift how we deal with those situations once we have come together in community, mm-hmm. right? Um, because if we're um, just focused on, and we're so focused on punishment as a culture, mm-hmm. and punishment does very little to blame. change anything, yeah. right? And it's um, when you have there's this interesting thing that happens when you start. Be more compassionate with yourself when you get into that space where you're you're observing and you're not judging yourself and you're accepting you know all the aspects of yourself uh, as just sort of being you know it is what it is. Um, then you start to be able to look at other people that way too. Yes, and you start to be able to see you know look at someone that uh, has their flaws and imperfections and go okay well they just they are who they are. You well, know. and well, <clears throat> holding on to their humanity while we bring bring consequences forward. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right, yes. And so that doesn't mean that you have to just let people get away with whatever. Right. You know, you can still hold people accountable for sure, just as you would hold yourself accountable. You know, just because you're being fully loving and accepting of yourself doesn't mean that you can just go do whatever you want go oh it's fine you know i'm right. just being human uh no there right. are still I, i'm sabotaging myself i am not loving myself right. in the best way <laughs> yeah totally so no it's really true and i think a lot of times conservatives you know have this idea that hanging holding on to humanity and understanding the backstory this bleed this idea of the bleeding heart liberal right um means that nobody gets punished for, punished for anything and nobody has consequences right, right? and i think like moving away from punishment and just looking at like um, recognizing how wrapped up in shame and blame that is. And we know from scientific research that shame actually increases the occurrence of violence, drug addiction, abuse, right? Like all these things that we want to get rid of. So, so if punishment is about increasing shame, do we want to punish the person or do we want them to change? I mean, really, that's right. what we need to look at, right? Yes, so, it is really a choice, yeah. Yeah, like, and so, <laughs> and and as a, as a society, we need to set up systems that are focused on that and us yeah. being aware of that within ourselves is a big part of it, of course, but, um, like, huh. it doesn't mean if I understand where someone's coming from, if I, if I see them as a human being who's made some really bad choices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that I go, oh, well, we're all just human. It's a crowded <laughs> planet. We bump into each other. Do you know what I right, mean? Right, like, yeah, yeah. No, it's things, not an excuse. Totally. Yeah. Things need to happen. Like, we as a society have certain roles to, to help people get there. They as an individual have certain things that they right. need to do. It um, all comes down to natural consequences, really. And and, and so my kids um, attended elementary school at a Montessori school and one of the really foundational principles of Montessori education is that um, that the children learn as much as possible through natural consequences so they really I mean as much as is practical minimize punishment um, and really try to um, have kids learn through the natural consequences of their actions 
And um, of course, there's always safety things you have to be. So there's always a little like real life modification that has right. to go into that, right? Like I'm not, not gonna... this sort of idea like my dad. Right. Whenever you know, little kids are always trying to get at the oven, right? And like oh, you yeah. open the oven door, and it's perfect little hand height for right. them to, you know. And <laughs> oh. of course, I'd always be free, like, Miles, get back! It's hot! It's hot! It's hot! You know, my dad's like, well, just let him do it once, and he won't ever do it again. Right? It's like, okay, no. his finger into a candle no. is very different from both hands full. On, on an on an oven right. thing. You're not gonna let your kid like cross the street at random without looking and be like, well, if they can't get hit by a car, they'll never do that again. You know, right? So there is, you know, right. We do have not to walk be, again either. So. Yeah, we do have to be realistic. But but yeah, as much as we can, um, you know, uh, see each ourselves in each other as human and um, help people learn through natural consequence while still, um, you know, holding people accountable and, and looking out for the safety of and the well-being of everyone, um, then that's really ultimately what is going to make our community stronger and make our lives as individuals better. Yeah, totally. And I, um, I'm i thinking of, so we just finished watching the first season of Anne with an E. Have you seen I this? Haven't. I'm not familiar So with that it's one. on Netflix and it's a new adaptation of Anne, Anne of Green Gables. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh, I read all those books. Oh okay, so gosh. I didn't read any of them and I'm so sad watching her. I'm like, I am sad that I did not have oh, her yeah, as part of her. my yeah. young adult life because <laughs> what a difference that would have made. Yeah. You know, talk oh. about like short, like cutting mm. shame off at the pass on so many different things. But, um, uh, now I have to go look that up. Oh, on it's wonderful! It's wonderful. It's they did there. such a oh good job, gosh. I think. Wow. And um, the the opening artwork is just gorgeous. I love the way that they did the the opening sequence for it. But um, you know, uh, so I so I think I read House of the Seven Gables because everyone was talking about Anne of, of Gables, and I'm like at the library and I couldn't remember what Gables, and I saw. Right. I said, so I'm looking through the remember file catalogs, right? So um, Gables, 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 Gables. So I so I did uh, House of the Seven Gables, which is a radically different book and wasn't any fun at all. And I didn't understand why people were making such a big deal. And, uh, and then when people talk about Anna Green Gables, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I read that. I don't like it, you know? So, um, I, I and it turned I, out it was something totally different. Totally different. <laughs> totally different. But um, I have ordered it on... Um, I've got it on my Kindle now, so I'm, okay, I'm going to cool. go through it. But there's, you know, she's she's an, an orphan girl mm-hmm. and um, comes who, into this family. Who wanted a boy. Who and, wanted a boy. And they sent a girl by accident. Yeah. <laughs> and like, oh. so decide to keep her after all, right? right. Um, and so there's this, you know, there's several scenes where... Um, Anne is getting in trouble because she, and it's really, it's really beautiful to watch her, right? Because she, she hasn't gotten the socialization that other kids have gotten, particularly girls. And so she doesn't have this, oh, girls can't do that. Girls can't do that. You know what I mean? She doesn't have that. She's like, well, I can do anything a boy can do. Why wouldn't I be able to do anything a boy can do? You know? And um, so there's that kind of thing going on, but there's this one uh, episode, a scene where, um, She's, it's, I think, on her first day of school, and she's talking to some of the girls, and she knows far more about being intimate 
right? <laughs> and so she gets this reputation for being like the there's this huge scandal. And um, several of the families, which apparently, just the fact that she was an orphan, many of the families were ready to, like, Kick not, her out. Right. Yeah. Not let her play with their children and all this kind of oh stuff. Oh, my gosh. Um, but after this little episode, then it really sort of explodes. And um, uh, the mother, oh, how am I forgetting her name? Starts with an N, ends with an L. Meryl? Meryl? Marl? Anyway. Um, she... Um, Goes to this woman that has said that, you know, the daughter, that, that Anne can't play with her daughter anymore. And that woman had invited the, the mom to um, to this progressive parenting group. <laughs> right? Oh, so they had gone right. to this progressive parenting group. And so when she comes to say, you know, I'm really sorry for, um, for what Anne said and the problems that it's caused your family. But, um, and it was really interesting because, you know, the, the mother has the same reaction, like, oh, this is just horrible. This is scandalous. Now she's this fast little child that's saying these things are totally inappropriate. And, and Matthew, the, the, the brother slash dad of Anne, right, um, is like, how horrible that a child her age even knows things like that. She shouldn't know those things. Hmm. Right? right. And it opens that switch immediately for the sister slash mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so when she goes to talk to this other parent, she's like, you know, well, too bad that your progressive parenting doesn't include empathy because it's horrible that this child knows these things. This child shouldn't know things like that. Right. Um, and, and it's one of the things that, you know, when, when I hear people talking about little girls being fast, for example, Right, like the girl gets this terrible reputation. It's to this day, we still, I still hear people really? talking about little seven, eight, nine-year-old girls. Oh, she's fast, and not wanting their daughters to play with her, and not want. Instead of like, can we please get to the place where we recognize that if an eight-year-old knows about sex, something wrong has happened. Right. Right. This isn't. This is not her being a fast little slut or a hussy or a right. Jezebel or whatever. This is a child that is being abused in some way. Right. Because she has been exposed to things that she should not have been exposed to. Right. Right. And then and then we see the effect of societal programming that women's highest achievement and greatest value to society is in their sex ability. Do you know what I mean? So. So, you know, if an eight-year-old's been exposed to this kind of stuff and then is interpreting this as, okay, well, if I want to be valuable, I need to be sexy, like, instead of calling her fast, why don't we, you know, recognize that for for being what it is? And yeah. especially since we know that it's like one in three women, and I think one in five men, have gone through some kind of sexual molestation or sexual assault by the time they're 18. Really? Yeah. Wow. The numbers are outrageous. So so there's enough of us walking around that have had these experiences. Yeah. Um, but clearly we haven't done our own work in eradicating that shame. Right. And by dousing it with empathy and, and self-understanding and self-compassion, right, to recognize that the, that the, the reactions that we've had to society – you know what I mean? Like these reactions that, that society judges and to, to see like, well, this is where this is coming from. And it doesn't mean, you know, that I keep being, you know, 
being really sexually promiscuous if that's not working for me or getting me into situations that are hurtful or do you know what I mean? It doesn't mean that you don't stop that stuff, but like recognizing where it comes from, having right. compassion for its source so that you are able to shift right. out of destructive well, behavior into things that are actually going to help you. Anytime you want to affect change, empathy is really the first step, yeah. right? Because if you're, you know, if you're saying to someone, you know, like, oh, you're being really pr promiscuous, you need to stop that because it's bad, um, you know, that, why is that person going to want to listen to you or do what you say if you're just increasing, if you're just throwing more shame on them, right. you know, <laughs> what motivation are they going to be like, oh, yes, thank you for that, you know, um, <laughs> right. you know, it really does start with empathy. It starts with saying, you know, I, I understand what you're going through or, you know, and then, and, and now let's, you know, have that discussion about what we can do about it. Right. And, you know, because then you can be in partnership with someone and helping them to, um, to go through behavior change, you know, if that's what's needed rather than, again, shame is just a form of punishment, right? Yeah, it's a it really form is. of emotional, um, and social punishment. Yeah. And so, again, like you said earlier, that choice, you can punish the person or you can partner with them to help them um, change the situation. Right. Yeah. Do you want them to be obliterated within their skin and keep walking around? Or do you want the situation to change? Because right. you really kind of have to choose yeah. <laughs> which, which one you're going to be more focused on. Right. Absolutely. So let's do a little integration station here since we talked about a lot yeah, we today. Did. So much good stuff. <laughs> Around the um, world and yeah. through the cosmos. So yeah. I guess the two major themes were um, the small community and then time for reflection. And so as far as small community goes, um, what any of us can do is just start thinking about what communities, what small communities we can join um, that are centered around uh, shared values, um, causes that we're passionate about, interests, things that we like to do. Um, and Meetup is a great way to get started on things like that. Yeah, like if you don't already, if you're like, where do I even go to find those people? Yeah, meetup.com is a great way to find. I mean, they have meetups for like everything. Yeah, they really, really are. Yeah. Anything yeah. you could possibly be interested in, there is a meetup of people that are also interested in that thing, right? right? Exactly. So, um, yeah, and I think... Uh, we have been trained for so long to think, especially as Americans, um, to think that change is coming through that that powerful, charismatic individual that mm -hmm. is able to convey their message to millions. Um, and so getting out of that mindset, I think, is really powerful. There's this really great um, blog post on uh, marketing for hippies is the name of the uh, the name of the website. And uh, he has a blog post uh, from 2015, actually, that says, why stop playing small is bullshit. And um, ah, so in and so it really helps us get out of this idea, right? Because I think entrepreneurs especially are are fed this line that you have to grow big. You have to expand. Stop playing small. To, yeah, totally. Yeah. And that the only way to have a large impact is to have this huge following, right? So it's clearly working in that like individual right. to the to the masses. But you have to kinda. be one of those individual who who creates a big tribe. 
in order to have impact. in order to have That's impact right and um he he uses this sort of central metaphor for this blog post um her name is christine alberta christine williams who was the mother of martin luther king jr oh right, right. so to try to tell her that her impact was was too small is absurd of course right right um because her impact was tremendous um and she she was a, a very intelligent woman she was involved she, i think she was um well, it's got some, she does like her church, she was a president of the church women's committee, like this kind of stuff, right? So she was, she was involved uh, in heavily small community. in a small community right. in the ways that were appropriate for women at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we don't know her for the things that she did within organizational structures, right? We know what she did within, within her tightest of communities. So, um, so, so, so getting out of that sort of idea that if, if you want to have a large impact, that you're going to have to go a big way. Um, and really recognizing that if we're, if we're fully involved in the circles that we're in, um, then we can have tremendous impact, right? Um, so, I, so I think that's, that's really powerful to do that. But yeah, Meetup is a great place. Uh, like, I don't know, bake cookies and take them to your neighbors. Like, you know, like there's so many yeah. different ways to start. Um, and I, just having gonna, open conversations with yeah, totally. people and actually telling them what you really think and what you're really passionate about. And and because sometimes I found that, um, you know, sometimes you have to be that first person to break the ice, you know, yeah. who sort of puts it out there and, you know, says something really honest and, and transparent and, um, you know, and because other people need that, you know, yeah, they totally. need someone else to... Um, that they can then go, oh, really? Me too. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes that's a big thing is just being, you know, being brave enough to be the first person to yeah. speak up. Totally. Yeah. Totally. People can't find us if if we don't show ourselves. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And um, and then yeah, that that time for reflection was really, I think. The sort of well, how do you get there, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. For this vision that uh, that we've been covering in this episode, and um, I, I know for me, I do it. You know, I have time that's sort of built into my routine. Like in the morning, you know, when I'm getting ready, I'm showering and you know, getting dressed and all that. I mean, that takes me like an hour, which I don't even do anything super complicated. Like I don't even wear makeup, but it's because I move. At a slower pace, you know, I allow myself to sort of just get up and get around at my own pace and, you know, I'll, you know, just sort of lay on the bed for a few minutes after my shower and just kind it's of, especially yeah. in summer, it's necessary. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't have to, I'm not rushing to throw my clothes on and get ready and get out the door, you know, so that's something that I do and I can get out the door. I mean, I can do that routine faster if I rush through it, but right. I don't want to because that's, you know part of my relaxing, you know, winding up towards the day. And so while I'm just laying there on the bed, you know, I just let my mind wander and I think all kinds of interesting thoughts and have ideas and random musings and whatever, you know, and so, and so it's not technically a meditation, I guess, but, you know, um, but in some ways it kind of is too. Yeah. And there's so many different ways to do it. The the Sufi camp that I went to um, last summer, uh, they really focused on using each of the senses as a doorway into the mystical mind, right? So just 
fully seeing what you see, fully mm. hearing what you hear, fully yeah. tasting what you taste, fully touching what you touch, right? Um, those those kinds of using the senses yeah. as the doorway to the inside. And that's great um, for people too who have maybe tried like the traditional, you know, sitting cross-legged sitting it, right. and clear your mind and focus on your breathing and, you know, which is also a good way to... Uh, um, to you know, calm your mind and body, but it's not the only way. No. Like you can't, if you're one of those people like, I got to be doing something. Okay, go do something. Just be totally focused on the task and, you know, the physical experience of doing it and let your mind relax. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. Yay. So glad that you could join us today. And we are here to start a conversation, not be the conversation. So we would love to have you join us uh, around the digital campfire. Uh, you can come to the Facebook page, find Kitchen Table Alchemy, the group. Um, and that's a great place to connect with other people, uh, talk about what we've been talking about, also to find out where our next pop-up podcast is going to be. And Pinterest, find us on Pinterest. So that article that you were looking for that you've scrolled through and you can't find it, it's probably on the Pinterest board. So uh, go find the Kitchen Table Alchemy group over on Pinterest. And for the latest episodes, you can go to our website, kitchentablealchemy.com, or you can subscribe through iTunes. And that way it's downloaded automatically. You don't have to remember anything. That's that's what I like. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we've loved having you. Y'all come back now, you hear? here. <laughs>